It's officially the first regular season game week of 2022. Seahawks getting ready to face Russell Wilson and the Broncos at Lumen Field on Monday Night Football. What should fans expect when Russell Wilson tangles with Pete Carroll at Lumen Field? We're going to start breaking it all down on our Monday episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's finally Game week, not preseason game week, regular season game week. A week from now, the Seahawks will be facing off against Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos at Lumen Field. So we're going to start taking a look at what's new with the Broncos. A lot has changed even in the last few weeks with injuries and some other roster moves that the Broncos have made. And we're going to check out Pete Carroll versus Russell Wilson, the teacher versus the pupil, and a little bit of history with former star quarterbacks going up against their previous coach with their original team, plus our first Monday afternoon quarterback profile looking at Anthony Richardson from Florida after an impressive opening outing against the Utah Utes on Saturday. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. There's a lot of storylines going into this season opener for the Seahawks. Russell Wilson coming back to his old stomping grounds to face the Seahawks at Lumen Field. You could look at him against Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs, many of his former teammates that are still on defense. Clint Hurt, new defensive coordinator, he knows Russell Wilson well. But at the end of the day, Rob, there's only one matchup that really intrigues the most heading into this matchup, and it's Pete Carroll, the teacher, going up against Russell Wilson, the pupil. The two worked together for 10 years, and now one of the few times we could see a star quarterback in the private's career go up against his former head coach and his former team. And he's going to be doing it in the season opener on Monday Night Football. Yeah, it's going to make for an awesome environment. And, and as you said, Corbin, I mean, we just haven't seen this happen very often. You know, of course, uh, you know, you think about some of the the all-time greats going back against, uh, you know, against their former coaches, Tom Brady going back to Foxborough to go up against Bill Belichick. Uh, I, I was curious to see how Peyton Manning may have done against the Indianapolis Colts. And while he did play against the Colts, he did not go up against Tony Dungy or his other head coach there, Chuck Pagano. So we it's Excluded him from this list of legendary quarterbacks going back to face uh, their former head coaches. And it really has been kind of a fascinating uh, look at, at some of these players and, and, and the matchups. So what we're talking about here is Tom Brady going up against Bill Belichick and, and the Buccaneers. And Tom Brady wound up winning that game 19 to 17. You know, as we're going to discuss here in a moment, I mean, the rookie quarterback at that point, Mac Jones for the Patriots, actually outdueled Tom Brady for most of the game. But Brady pulled out his magic at the very, very end. The, the Patriots missed a field goal in the closing minute of the game. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why that the quarterback, Tom Brady, was able to get that victory over Bill Belichick. But, of course, there are several other uh, really interesting matchups. Which one were you uh, most excited to kind of go back and review a little bit? Well, I had five of them. And for our YouTube 
watchers just posted the graphic. I'll post it up again. There are five games, and a couple of these quarterbacks are not going to be Hall of Famers. Carson Palmer and Donovan McNabb would be in the Hall of Very Good. The two of them were not quite Hall of Fame caliber, but they still were very good quarterbacks that played a long time for the same head coach with their first team. Carson Palmer going up against Marvin Lewis, and this one was in Oakland. And everybody may remember Carson Palmer forced his way out of Cincinnati. And most of these cases, the quarterback has gotten the last laugh. That was not the case at all for Carson Palmer. Ironically, Pete Carroll's former pupil at USC. So there's another tie there in this discussion. But that game was ugly from the outset. The Raiders fell behind 24 to nothing at home at halftime. And it looked like they might pull off a stunning comeback. In the second half, Palmer got him a couple scoring drives, and then the Bengals put the game away 34-10. to So not exactly what Carson Palmer was hoping to accomplish against the team that he forced his way out uh, to end up with, the Raiders. And everybody knows that story. He did not last long with the Raiders before they traded him to the Cardinals, and that was really where his career renaissance happened, eventually leading the Cardinals to the NFC Championship game. Two years before that, in 2010, Donovan McNabb, this was the rare interdivision trade, especially with a quarterback. The Eagles wanted to move on from McNabb so bad they traded him to Washington. McNabb's team ended up getting the win, but it wasn't necessarily because of McNabb. Eight for 19, one touchdown, one interception that game. So not a good passing performance at all, but has support from his run game. And on the other side, the Eagles turned the ball over twice. Kevin Kolb was not able to finish off drives. And that's how long ago this was. Kevin Kolb was still viewed as maybe the next franchise quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. But Washington gets the victory in Philadelphia. So McNabb at least gets to leave his old stomping grounds with a victory, even if he really was not a key part of getting that victory. But those are two games that really stand out. And then, of course, you look later down the line. Uh, there was a big game in 2009, Brett Favre going back to Lambeau Field wearing purple. Yeah, and that was the game, the game that I immediately think of um, is, yeah. uh, you know, Brett Favre going back and, you know, just because we know what a competitor he was, the, the durability. I mean, he was just legendary in that regard. It was so controversial the way that, you know, he left Green Bay. Obviously, the Packers had selected Aaron Rodgers, and it was just classic gunslinger Brett Favre. I mean, four touchdowns and a big win, uh, you know, against uh, Mike McCarthy and the, the Green Bay Packers, obviously not going up against uh, Mike Holmgren, of course, Although he did later, as a member of the New York Jets, go up against Mike Holmgren uh, in Seattle, and uh, you know, so. Uh, but to me, that that was one of the games that that really stands out. And it's not that Aaron Rodgers was bad. I mean, this is not Kevin Cobb. Uh, I mean, this is you know, Aaron Rodgers threw three touchdowns and, and no interceptions in that game as well. But it was very clearly the Aaron Rodgers show in Green Bay, whereas Minnesota has a much more uh, you know balanced offense to support Brett Favre. And then if we're gonna go back way back, back to nineteen. 1994, the, the wonderful year in which I was, uh, you know, graduated high school, actually, then, you know, my favorite quarterback that I've ever seen play the game, Joe Montana, had his opportunity to to go up against George Seifert, his, uh, you know, the quarterback, Steve Young, of course, and the San Francisco 49ers, while as a member of the Kansas City Chiefs, and they didn't call him Joe Cool for nothing, as you probably well know, Corbin, uh, you know, 19-31, 203 yards, two touchdowns. Again, Steve Young was very good. I mean, if you were looking at it from a fantasy perspective, uh, he had the better numbers, 24-34, 288 
88 yards and a touchdown as well. Also had some scrambles, but he threw two costly interceptions. And so Joe Montana wound up winning, uh, you know, or wound up winning that game as well, hosting that game and winning that game uh, as, as well. So to me, that's the fascinating thing here is, again, it winds up being three wins for the former quarterbacks going up against two wins for the, you know, the teachers, the coaches. Uh, but at that same time, the most recent one that we discussed, Tom Brady going up against Bill Belichick and the Patriots, that was a missed field goal at the very, very end. So it truly was as close as you might expect in these five matchups. I believe it was actually four to one. I think Lewis was the only coach that actually won the matchup because even McCarthy, ironically, they played in Minnesota first because division rivals, they play twice a year. Favre won that one too. So the quarterbacks have dominated these matchups, but not necessarily because the quarterbacks have always played well. As I mentioned, McNabb had a horrible game against the Eagles and his team bailed him out. The fact that Eagles couldn't put any points on the board, had two turnovers, was really the difference, not Donovan McNabb winning the game. And Tom Brady didn't necessarily play well. He didn't have any touchdown passes last year playing against the Patriots in Foxborough. So historically, the quarterbacks have gotten the last laugh here, winning four of those five matchups. And there's a few of you go further back in history, some notable quarterbacks that played against their former coach. But these are the five that really stood out to me. And now Pete Carroll is going to try to help even the score up a little bit here. Because, again, this has been very lopsided. 80% of these games going to the quarterbacks. Pete Carroll's hoping he's got a few things up his sleeve to be able to beat Russell Wilson coming back to Lumen Field in week one. And we'll see what this latest installment of teacher versus pupil ends up yielding as the Seahawks host the Broncos in prime time to open the season. Again, this is really an unprecedented situation. There have been star quarterbacks play against their former coach and former team, but to do it in week one in their first game with their new team and to do it in prime time, this has never happened before. So can have a very exciting chapter that's added to this teacher versus pupil series. And Pete Carroll's hoping to get the last lap. And of course, Russell Wilson would love to go into Lumen Field and get a big win first game with the Denver Broncos. So we're going to see what happens. And that's going to be the talk all week long. We'll be breaking down what's new with the Broncos coming up later in the show. But first, everybody knows Russell Wilson's in Denver the Seahawks probably don't have their quarterback of the future currently on the roster. The good news, there's a lot of really good quarterback talent coming in in the 2023 draft class each week after a weekend slate of college football games. We're going to be breaking down a quarterback prospect. We're going to kick off our Monday afternoon quarterback prospect series today. We're going to get to that here in a moment. As a diehard fantasy player, I'm rolling with Josh Allen to throw for over 400 yards, Jonathan Taylor to amass three rushing touchdowns, and Cooper Cup to snag 10 receptions in week one. Those might seem like bold leaps, but with prize picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport you watch, whether it's NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, college football, women's college basketball, soccer, you name it, they've got it all covered. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. And it's safe with fast withdrawals, currently operational in over 30 states 
as well as Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on at the sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbett Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, to the 12s for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It is game week. We're going to get to the Denver Broncos later in the show as we gear up for week one, Monday night football at Lumen Field. But this season's a little bit different than it has been for the last decade. Russell Wilson's usually been under center for the Seahawks. He's going to be under center for the opponent coming up next Monday night. And, of course, that means the Seahawks probably don't have their quarterback of the future on the roster right now. Geno Smith expected to start week one. The good news, Rob, this looks like it is a very deep, talented quarterback class that should be coming in in 2023. And we're going to have a chance to look at former Heisman winner Bryce Young and Will Levis from Kentucky and C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, three of the top quarterbacks. But there's a couple other guys in this class that have a chance to crash the party and be top 10 picks next year, a really rich quarterback class. And that leads us to our pick for today. We put up a poll with C.J. Stroud on the poll. But you guys, the listeners, wanted us to talk about Anthony Richardson, the upstart quarterback from Florida, who Rob last year – only played a handful of snaps for Florida, had six touchdown passes and five interceptions, mainly was the backup quarterback, a very inexperienced signal caller, but at 6'4", 232 pounds, he's got the complete package in terms of physical tools. And this weekend helped orchestrate a home upset over the Utah Utes, who a lot of people were viewing as a college football playoff sleeper this year. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're the reigning Pac-12 champions, uh, you know, lost uh, in a classic Rose Bowl to C.J. Stroud in Ohio State, got absolutely shredded in their secondary at the end of that game, giving up, I mean, quite literally nearly 600 yards uh, to C.J. Stroud in the entire time, the entire offseason, you know, that Kyle Whittingham, the head coach of Utah, and certainly all of Utah players were just chomping at the bit for an opportunity to, to shut down another high-profile quarterback. And in one regard, they did. So, because they did keep Anthony Richardson out of the end zone as a passer, but he ran for three touchdowns, uh, had a, a two point conversion that, that was critical in this game. Um, and you said it as far as just the natural talent with Anthony Richardson. I mean, this, this game against the Utah Utes, who were the number seven ranked team entering that game, uh, you know, against the unranked Florida Gators, it was only Richardson's second start of his college career, his first home start. It was more people attending the swamp in a season opener than ever before. You have a brand new head coach of Florida in Billy Napier and Anthony Richardson looked like the player we kind of talked about a moment ago uh, with, with Joe Montana, cool as a cucumber. And that to me was the most exciting thing about it. That the physical traits, as you said, are just undeniable. I mean, my goodness, in terms of his size, in terms of his athletic ability, in terms of the rifle that he has for an arm, uh, you know, it just a really exciting demonstration of what he can be now is he going to be raw of course as we just mentioned he only has two two starts to his you know to his college career and we know that's something that seahawks have prioritized in the past is they want to draft a quarterback who has extensive starring experience uh, be able to hit the ground running so to speak 
But at the same time, we also know that when some clubs were focusing on the Baker Mayfields and Sam Darnolds, John Schneider was out on the road uh, scouting guys like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes because the traits were that special. So, you know, Anthony Richardson, it's going to be interesting to see. There, there's going to be some comparisons to Cam Newton. There's going to be some comparisons to Marcus Russell. There's going to be some comparisons to Josh Allen as well. I see a guy whose physical traits are so exciting that I'm ecstatic that we're talking about him really after week one of the college football season rather than week zero, because I think that Anthony Richardson is somebody, Corbin, that you and I are going to be talking about a lot uh, over the next oh, six, eight months or so. You go back to that game on Saturday. Again, Utah, this is a team that returned most of their starters from last year's team that got to a major bowl game. And we know that Kyle Whittingham is as good of a defensive coach as any in the nation. Reigning Pac-12 champs. And yes, it's at Florida. That's a big advantage playing in front of the Swamp fans there. But still, Utah was going into this game as the favorite because of the returning starters they had and the questions about Anthony Richardson. And you mentioned Cam Newton. That might seem like a really cheap comparison because Newton obviously played briefly at Florida before he got into issues and then had to transfer, went community college route, eventually ended up at Auburn where he won the Heisman. But the physical comparison is very much a real one. We're talking about two guys that are huge quarterbacks in that 6'4", 230 range. Newton's a little bit bigger than what Richardson is at this point. But Richardson could be a 240, 250-pound quarterback and not have that be bad weight. This is just a big dude who's got a rifle of an arm. And you can see the design running game that Billy Napier and his staff have put in place for him. He had 106 rushing yards in this game against Utah on just 11 carries, almost 10 yards per carry. And you could see the entire toolbox as a runner. He was bowling over tacklers. He was making a miss in space. He was showing off the ability to improvise when plays broke down and escaped the pocket. Looked Russell Wilson-esque at times in the way that he was able to do that and nimbly scoot outside the pocket, extend plays. And that makes him such a weapon when those plays break down. The secondary is now going to defend that much longer. In college football, it's even worse with the rules in place, trying to cover receivers that long and extending those plays, not only being able to win as a runner in those situations, but also win as a passer. I think on the flip side, though, when you see an offense like that, this still is a concern for me. Maybe not as much as it would have been like four or five years ago because we are seeing more of these college concepts get into the NFL and be used successfully. But you're not going to run a full college offense in the NFL. Chip Kelly can tell you all about that. You're not going to come to the league and run a full throttle college offense and have sustained success. So that leads me to wonder about Richardson, a player who clearly is benefiting from this heavy designed quarterback run package that you're just not going to see utilized very much in the NFL. A lot of your traditional college one read passing concepts those are not going to help you get by long-term in the NFL. He's got to show that he can make those progressions, which even though I see an improved passer and I was surprised by the anticipation that he showed in Saturday's game, that is still the biggest reservation for me. I need to see a quarterback that can progress through his reads and handle NFL-style concepts. That's just not something that Florida's doing in the passing game. They don't have to right now. But that's something you would hope to see some – progression from the quarterback and the play caller to give him some of those options so that he's more pro ready that would be something that I'm a little bit hesitant about still but it's very early with this kid and he could improve a lot in that regard this season 
No, he absolutely can. And he's going to have to if uh, if an NFL team is going to trust him to be able to play anytime soon. Uh, I think that the traits are so exciting that, that some club will take him in the first round. I don't care if he only has two or three starts. I mean, his traits are that special. But you're absolutely right, Corbin. I mean, he's playing in an, uh, in an offense that is catered to the running game, whether it be himself or his back. Uh, that's something that Billy Napier did uh, at Louisiana Monroe prior to getting the job at Florida. I mean, he previously had been in all kinds of places, including Alabama. And this is no uh, you know, rookie head coach, so to speak. I mean, while obviously being the head man Florida uh, is a whole different level of pressure. At the same time, Billy Napier has been incredibly successful in churning out NFL prospects throughout his entire time. Rob Sale is the offensive coordinator. He was previously the offensive line coach with the New York Giants. So you do have some pro-style principles there. And as you mentioned, the anticipation, there's some just natural quarterback instincts here as a passer, as a decision maker that we saw from Richardson. Again, this is only in his second career start. However, the reads were pretty simple. Um, There was not a lot of complicated routes, Um, a lot of quick posts, slants, things like that but again just the sheer velocity uh with which he threw those passes the accuracy with which he threw those passes you see a lot of guys that have a huge arm but don't have the accuracy that you're looking for i was really impressed by by richardson so far but again this is a you know fairly rudimentary offense it certainly is nothing like what he would be expected to be able to handle at the nfl level and so i think that again this is something that we're going to have to kind of follow up with throughout the season and see how he progresses because i think you make an excellent point here when you said that Florida doesn't have to become uh, Anthony Richardson's quarterback developer. They're trying to win football games. And obviously what he is doing for them right now got them the win. And that's all Billy Napier cares about. I think the one thing that was really encouraging for me, because I had watched a few of the games where he played in last year and he struggled throwing to the middle of the field. If that sounds like something that's familiar, it's obviously probably for different reasons. We're talking about a very young quarterback. It's not Russell Wilson. and He's five inches taller than Russell Wilson, so you can't make that argument. But he struggled with those throws. On Saturday, he connected on a couple of 10 to 15-yard intermediate dig routes in the middle of the field, and you could see the anticipation from him. You could see the accuracy, and you could see the arm strength on display, making those throws. Those windows are going to be really tight in the NFL. And he showed he could make those throws, albeit against Utah. But Utah's got some NFL players on that defense. So Mm -hmm. for him to fire a few of those throws, and that was a very encouraging stepping stone for me at the quarterback position, seeing his ability to take advantage of those tight windows in the middle of the field. Now can we add some progressions to the mix? Because if he's able to do that, that'll be a huge stepping stone for him going into the league. And if he's able to do that, this is a kid that could jump into top 10 conversations because of the physical tools. You can make an argument when you look at arm strength and running ability and size that he might be the most intriguing quarterback prospect in this entire draft class, just from a trait standpoint, but he's very unpolished. He's still a player that's got a long way to go, but you and I both know players with those tools are going to make teams it's going to be very difficult for them to overlook, including Seattle. Seattle would have – I guarantee they will have Richardson on their short list as far as quarterbacks that they are looking at very closely in this process because of those traits. We'll see what happens. Florida, it's a long season. That's a very talented football team with a brand-new coaching staff, though. Maybe they can bring out the best 
in this team and Florida can return to the upper echelon of the SEC, that by itself would put Richardson much further up on the map as far as quarterback prospects going into the 2023 NFL draft. All right, it's time to go back to the regular season now. The Seattle Seahawks kicking things off against the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson. Monday night football, one week from today, we're going to be in the press box at Lumen Field. And Wilson's going to take the field wearing orange and navy, which is going to look really strange, particularly on the Seahawks turf. But, Rob, this is a Broncos team that made this move for Russell Wilson in part because they felt like they were just a elite quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender. You look at the roster and some of the other additions that they made this offseason, even in that loaded AFC West division, you can see why George Payton was thinking the time is now to go get my stud quarterback to put around this team. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, the Denver Broncos are a supremely talented club. Um, you know, obviously, everybody in Seattle, they, they know that the, the big addition was Russell Wilson. But who are some of the other additions? That's what we were kind of tasked ourselves with today. Um, I think you have to start off with the head coach, Daniel Hackett. I mean, this was the offensive coordinator with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, uh, you know, these last couple of years. So you know that that is going to be the, the pass-heavy approach that, that Russell Wilson wants. I, I love the addition of a couple of defensive linemen for the Broncos as well. Not from a Seahawks perspective, but from a Denver perspective, Randy Gregory, the pass rusher from the Dallas Cowboys, DJ Jones, kind of an underrated, uh, you know, penetrating defensive tackle, six foot, 310 pounds, kind of is like uh, Denver's version of Puna Ford in, in some ways. Another really good football player. Uh, you know, obviously when you, you are making the adjustment uh, from going from the previous coach uh, in, in you know, for Denver, uh, who was much more of a, a defensive-minded guy, um, to to Hackett, then you, you know you're going to lose a little bit, likely on the defensive side of the ball. But this Denver offense looks explosive, even though the injury to Tim Patrick, the wide receiver, was a significant loss for this club. Still, the, the Broncos have two studs. Right, let's see if that sounds familiar. It, like in Seattle, two studs at wide receiver in the former first round pick, Jerry Judy, and the guy who I think is going to wind up becoming uh, Russell Wilson's best friend on deep balls, Cortland Sutton. Uh, the Albert O with the tight end position is uh, you know an intriguing player. He's kind of similar to Noah Fant in terms of his athletic ability and his size. And then obviously the running game that this club has, bringing back Melvin Gordon to pair him with Javante Williams. While Gordon is not necessarily in addition, he would have been a significant subtraction if he had decided to sign elsewhere. But returning him, the Denver Broncos offense looks ready to rock. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting, Billy Turner, who they signed in free agency, has been dealing with an injury. So it sounds like he's got a chance to be able to play in this season opener, but he is slated to be their starting right tackle. If he is not able to play, that would be a significant advantage for the Seahawks pass rushers having a backup right tackle in the lineup. And so that is a storyline to keep an eye on. I'm glad that you mentioned DJ Jones because everybody's going to talk Randy Gregory. And in terms of talent, that has never been disputed. It's been the off-field issues, the extended time away suspended by the league. It seems like he's finally passed those issues and he's an incredible talent, really athletic Going to be a problem for the two rookie tackles for the Seahawks. Assuming that those are the two that start, I, I think you and I think that's a safe assumption at this point. The Cross and Lucas are going to be starting this season opener for the Seahawks. But regardless, they're going to be dealing with Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb, two really good edge rushers. They have different styles, different uh, pass rushing strengths 
And so they're going to be tested by both of those players. And the Broncos have some reserve pass rushers they're excited about as well. So that's going to be challenging. But I think DJ Jones in the interior might be the most underrated addition that they made this whole offseason, especially considering he gets to play against a team he has dominated. Because quite frankly, the Seahawks have owned the 49ers. It has not been because DJ Jones has struggled. But DJ Jones always seems to come up with splashy plays when he plays against the Seahawks. And he seems to enjoy playing against them. So he can be back in Lumen Field with his new team. He's going to be a problem for the interior offensive line for the Seattle Seahawks. You mentioned Tim Patrick, him being out for the season. This is a really tall, athletic receiver that would be another matchup problem to go with Cortland Sutton. He's not going to be available in this game. I do think that is a significant loss for the Broncos going into this season. Another loss, though, that maybe is a little under the radar when you look from an injury perspective, Rob, Greg Dulcich, their third-round pick out of UCLA, a big-body tight end that can create as a receiver. There was a lot of hype surrounding him when training camp started. He's now going to have to miss at least four games on the short-term injured reserve, and they already were without a number of draft picks because they traded him to the Seahawks to get Russell Wilson. That was one of the impact rookies that they were looking forward to coming in and contributing, being a weapon for Russell Wilson. And now he's not going to have him for the first four games, including this season opener. So one less big body in the passing game that the Seahawks have to account for. Yeah, and that is significant. Um, you know, Dulcich uh, was a good football player at, at UCLA. And uh, that's why I mentioned Alberto, um, just because even though he was uh, obviously previously on Denver's roster, Noah Fant was the clear-cut starter there. And, and so, again, this is a, an opportunity for Albert O to kind of promote uh, uh, and, and play pretty well, I, I think. Now, we know that Russell Wilson has historically struggled getting tight end the ball, but we also know that Seattle has struggled defending tight ends. And this might be the exact thing, the exact kind of thing that Nathaniel Hackett, uh, a very aggressive play caller, might try to use against Seattle and say, oh, you think you know what Russell Wilson can do well? Well, we're, we're going to try and counter that here. So I would not be surprised at all about that. So I like that you mentioned Dulcich. And, you know, you, you can't start talking about rookies with me, Corbin. And I don't want to kind of talk about some of the other rookies I see for the Denver Broncos. And they've got some good ones. Uh, the, the flashiest is the pass rusher, Nick Benito, a guy that, you know, we talked about a little bit as a, as a possible fit for the Seahawks. Uh, again, I, I think that we are very likely to see Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregory be the, the two leading pass rushers for the Broncos. But between Benito, uh, Baron Browning, Aaron Patrick, they, they've got some young athletes off the edge that are really intriguing. And because we are anticipating those rookie tackles to be lined up for Seattle, then it's really going to be interesting to see how they perform. Of course, this is going to be Charles Cross's second game ever in Seattle, and we know how many false start it. Uh, penalties that he had in his first go around so again all the nerves are just going to be amplified that much more so it's going to be fascinating to see how that goes and then again going back to the broncos and some of the rookies that really impressed me the corner from Pitt, damari mathis is a he's an athlete he, he's a playmaker he's a he's a good physical corner um he, he's a good football player um so when denver extends out to their nickel or dime defenses and you see the rookie on the field then that's not necessarily 
necessarily a good thing for Seattle because Mathis can play similar to the way that Seattle's corners can play. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a, a, a receiver here who really caught my attention. I was fortunate enough to go uh, to Denver to attend a couple of their training camp practices. Um, and the wide receiver, Montreal Washington, small school guy, but big time talent, kind of that, that nickel or excuse me, slot receiver kind of a guy. KJ Hamler, the former Penn State star, is going to be the starter at that spot. But Montreal Washington is a quick, uh, explosive pass catcher with really good body control for uh, you know for his size. I saw him make several splashy plays. And you know Russell Wilson. He's always going to find another receiver that other people aren't expecting. Uh, and, and I think that, that Washington could be that guy for the Broncos this season. Not necessarily against Seattle, but certainly I expect Montreal Washington uh, to be somebody that Denver looks to, uh, to focus a little bit on as a big play threat, not only on offense, but on special teams as well. It's ironic that Russell Wilson got traded to the Denver Broncos because I have a number of friends that cover the Broncos, so I have a lot of access to what has happened at training camp, even if I wasn't intentionally doing it because of Russ's presence being there. And Montreal Washington has been a name that has been a popular one to rave about for Broncos beat reporters. You got to see him a couple practices. Sounds like all of training camp that this kid from Samford, again, a tiny school prospect, was just lighting it up on the outside taking advantage of the injury to Patrick, the fact that Hamler's coming back from a torn ACL that missed, cost him most of last season. So this is a team that's got a lot of playmakers on the outside, and Washington might be a wild card to watch in the season opener. He might get some reps because Hamler's still working his way back and Patrick is out. You might see the fifth-round pick come in and make some plays, and the Seahawks are going to have potentially a rookie playing in the slot in Kobe Bryant. Justin Coleman may be the starter there, too. We don't know what's going to happen to that position, but that may be a spot that the Broncos identify as an area that they can exploit, whether it's because Coleman's getting to be a little older player, didn't have a great preseason, or Bryant is raw and hasn't really played in the slot up till his NFL career. The Seahawks have just transitioned him to that. So we're going to get to all those matchups on Matchup Wednesday. I'm fired up now, Rob. We've got so much to talk about the next couple of days. But as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, we're going to officially continue diving into our first game week of the 2022 regular season. Inside the numbers, checking out the Denver Broncos, their tendencies. Obviously, it's a much different team with Russell Wilson at quarterback, but we're going to look at some of the numbers from a year ago as we continue to pull back the curtain and investigate Seattle's upcoming opponent. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.